Lord, this is the prayer of our heart, that the world will see your face. And so we pray that as we open your word now and we hear from you, that you will strengthen us in faith to be able to clearly bear out and witness to the world that we have a living Lord who loves and who saves. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, church family, we are carrying on in our sermon series, talking about the dynamics of cooperating with the Holy Spirit, who is the chief actor in Scripture, the chief architect of the kingdom of God, the one who wants to show the world Jesus. And the Scripture says, we've received him. We've been joined to Him. We've been filled with the Spirit of God. And God wants to work through us to show the world King Jesus. And so we've been saying, well, how does that happen? How, how do we cooperate with the Lord? Just how does it, does it happen that the Holy Spirit of God works in and through us? And we said, when we open Scripture, there are dynamics that we can look at that are common to working with God the Holy Spirit. And that first dynamic is love. Love. God's love. We receive it. We grow in it. Paul says we put our roots down deep in it. Our own lives become rooted and established in the love that God has for us. God says you are valuable. I created you. Even though you fell into sin, I redeem you. I purchase you with my son. I have purpose for your life. I give you gifts and talents and I want to work through you. God fills us with his love and then he gives us love for other people. And as we grow in his compassion... The Bible says God so loves the world, it breaks his heart that we're separate from him. And as we grow in his compassion, we begin moving toward people that we wouldn't move toward before. Maybe we were afraid. Maybe they were different. Maybe a lot of things. But God's love moves us toward people. And then we become aware of our need. Lord, I need courage. Lord, I need faith. Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, I need you to change a heart. Lord, I need you to work. And so love moves us to pray. That's the second dynamic of cooperating with the Holy Spirit, that we be people of prayer, that we're dependent, always praying. Paul says, pray unceasingly. And so we're inviting Lord Jesus, come work here, come touch here, come bless here, come open eyes here. And what happens when we start to pray? God starts to work. He works. And so then we enter into this dance of cooperation with Him. And actually, we're teasing apart these dynamics, but they're all, they all work together. So you're going to hear, we're going to talk about faith that's clothed with obedience today. But it's going to push us right forward into the next few dynamics of 
receiving guidance from the Lord and testing that guidance, having discernment. But today we're talking about faith that's clothed with obedience. And there's a little more. The way in which that obedience opens the door for God to continue working. So let's look at the Lazarus story again. I'm not going to read the whole thing like the first week. I'll read a little bit, summarize a bit, and then read some more. John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then a conversation with his disciples ensued. Are we going to go back to Judea? They tried to kill us there. Yes, we are. And they go. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, she told him. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who was to come into the world. And then skipping down to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, sister of the dead man, By this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this, for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, 
Come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. The word of God. You might remember that last week, as I was ending the story on intercessory prayer, inviting God's engagement, I told a story or shared a story that Teo had shared earlier in the week in Noon Prayer in which he had, while in Nepal, for those of you who don't know, Teo's a medical doctor, a retired medical doctor, and he'd been serving at a hospital in Nepal, and he had uh, a patient who was on death's door. And he felt prompted to pray for her, this patient, and he acknowledged not having a lot of faith that the Lord would actually heal, but went and prayed anyways and laid his hands on her. And then three days later, she walked out of the hospital fully alive. And when I, yeah, when I told that story, I did not ask the question that I now want to ask. And that is, what would have happened had Teo not prayed for that woman? Mark 16, verse 15 to 18 says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Now, if we ask Teo, Teo, do you believe that this passage is true? What would you say, Teo? Yes, I believe that it's true. I believe that Jesus spoke these words. They're the words of God. I believe that Jesus meant them and that they're true. But in the moment of crisis... Teo needed to clothe his faith in the truth of these words with an obedience that required action. So Teo had to make the decision to either enter the room or if he was already in it, he had to walk across the room. And he had to not just stand beside this bed, but he had to lay his hands on this woman. And he had to open his mouth and he had to speak words. He had to call out, Lord Jesus, will you in your mercy heal? And if Teo had not clothed his faith in the truth of these words from Mark 16 with actions of obedience, he would have, in essence, been closing the door to God working. Faith clothed with obedience opens the door for God to work. Lack of clothing our faith with obedience actually closes the door. This is a dynamic that um, we see in the story of Lazarus being raised. And I want to work through that story. But first to say that this, this 
well, let's just work through the story first. Okay, so you've got, you've got multiple instances in this story of faith being exerted, and it might surprise you to hear me saying this, but Jesus is exerting faith. Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. Jesus, the text says, loves Lazarus. And Jesus stays right where he is for two more days. That is not a normal reaction. Particularly if you've got power or you understand that God has power and will work through you to bring healing. You don't stay where you are when somebody's sick. But Jesus has a sense of, God's called me not to leave yet. I'm on God's timing. God's saying, stay. I don't have peace about leaving. And so Jesus waits and he holds and Lazarus dies. And then Jesus arrives at Bethany and he's met by Martha's grief and her accusation, but also her statement of hope where she says, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And then Jesus replies by challenging her to believe. And he says, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So watch. She's asking Martha for a profession of faith in him as the one who will bring resurrection and eternal life. That is, the thing he's doing is he's centering Martha's faith on him. This is key for working with Jesus. Our faith is never in our prayers. Our faith is not in our technique. Our faith is not in anything that we do. Our faith is always in Jesus Christ, on him alone, right? And so Jesus is helping. He's helping Martha to center her faith on him. I'm the one. I'm the resurrection. I'm the one who's going to rise from the dead, and anyone attached to me will rise with me. Do you believe this? And Martha's able to say, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And that in and of itself is a big faith statement for Martha because she knows that Jesus is being rejected by the leaders in Jerusalem and that her stated faith in him as the Messiah likely means, and she knows this, that she, by saying that, is on the way to religious persecution. That she herself will lose friends and she'll lose family members And she'll lose standing in the community. So this is great faith that Martha can say, yes, Lord, I believe that. Just like it would be great faith for Teo to say, I believe everything in Mark 16 is true. I believe that Jesus will use me to drive out demons, unclean spirits, and to lay my hands on sick people and they'll be healed and to proclaim the gospel takes faith. Martha demonstrates that faith, but then Jesus takes her to another level. He doesn't leave her there. He asks her only a few short minutes later to clothe the faith, the profession of faith that she's just made with an act of obedience. So they've taken Jesus to the place where Lazarus has been laid, and then Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha objects strongly Lord, by this time there's a bad odor. So um, because of the heat in that culture, that climate, and because of the cost of embalming, funerals actually happen the same day a person dies. So to help us understand what this request of Jesus would feel like, I want to suggest that it's kind of like if Jesus would have showed up two weeks here, two weeks after... Hazel Taylor 
passed away. Hazel's a member of our congregation that died earlier this year. And if Jesus showed up two weeks later and he said, take me to where you've laid her, and we took him to the gravesite, and then Jesus said, dig up the casket. Uh, that would go against every grain of our being. And so it's underst- I want to say it's understandable that we can empathize with Martha that she's wavering. But watch what Jesus does. He does this with us too. He gently directs her back to her earlier profession of faith. He says, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And that if anticipates an, a positive answer because she said she believes. And so Jesus is saying, Martha, you believe. Remember, you believe. And did I not tell you that if you believed? He's reminding her of her faith, but he's asking her now to act on it. And he's promising her that if she clothes that faith with this obedience, she'll see and she'll experience the glory and the goodness of God. But I want us to notice something else. Jesus doesn't force anything. He invites He gives the command, take away the stone, but then he also waits for human cooperation and obedience. And so history hangs in the balance as Martha and company are given the choice of whether to act on their faith or not. The moment may be short, but I suggest it's one of those moments that feels like it lasts forever. Like the weight of the world is upon Martha's shoulders. Like all of her reason tells her, this can't work. It's impossible. But Jesus is telling her to do something. And so finally she heaves a huge sigh and nods to the men of the village. And they roll away the stone. And the drama is not finished yet. Because there's one more human being, albeit a divine human who has given up his divine power, who has to clothe his faith with obedience. That's right. Jesus himself has to speak and act in faith that God the Father is going to do something as he speaks. Jesus isn't going into the tomb to get Lazarus. He's not called to do that. Jesus is called to speak words of faith in faith that when he says something, God's going to do something to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, up to this point, the Gospels show us that Jesus has raised two other people from the dead. One of them was had died within minutes. It was the little girl, uh, John chapter 4. Uh, where he goes, the, the dad comes, you remember the story, and um, the, the servants come and tell him that she died, and Jesus says, don't worry, and he goes and he raise, raises her. She just died. But then there's another miracle where the widow from Nain had lost her son, and now instead of just a few minutes, it's a few hours, maybe even a whole day. The funeral procession's coming out at the end of the day, and Jesus raises that young boy from the dead. But four days Friends, the body's decomposing. The organs are shut down. Teo could tell us a whole lot more about four days. Jesus, having already prayed to the Father, knowing that this is what the Father wants to do, 
has to exert his faith and he speaks in front of a crowd of people, Lazarus, come out! And just like in creation, when the word is spoken and new reality comes into being, so in Jesus and in new creation, when the word given by God is spoken, the Spirit of God who's hovering takes that word and he brings the Spirit of Lazarus back into him and he does a creative miracle to restore a body that was already decomposing and out of a tomb walks Lazarus. And sisters get back their brother and church family gets back their their brother and a community gets back a man they love. Because people, Jesus included, clothed their faith with obedience. This is a principle that we see all across Scripture. And I'm going to just give a couple more illustrations in a second. But I want to say first, because this is what what we're going to land on today. This is an astonishing self-limitation that God has placed upon himself. That he, throughout all of Scripture and evidenced here, Works has chosen to work on earth primarily through human faith and obedience. Not entirely. He is sovereign and can and will do as he pleases. But the track record shows us primarily through human faith and obedience. That means each person in this story... Multiple people had multiple opportunities to clothe their faith with obedience and at each point along the way, if one of them failed to do it, we're still at a funeral. And not a resurrection. If Teo didn't walk across that room, there's a funeral and not a woman walking out of a hospital. What does that mean? for the choices that we face every day. This is incredible. Really quickly. Noah, God wants to judge the world and cleanse it of evil, and he invites Noah to spend a hundred years building a boat in the middle of dry ground, making him the seeming laughingstock of the Middle East. Noah, what are you doing? Um, Cutting down trees. Why? Well, um, God told me that I should build a boat. Um, I don't see any water, Noah. Right. God told me there's rain coming. Uh-huh. Uh, no. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. But God's redemptive purposes hung on the obedience of Noah. So God cleanses the earth and yet evil remains and God's carrying on his plan of redemption. He chooses a childless man named Abram and says, I promise you, that I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations and all people, and I am going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I want you to get up and leave your family and go to the land that I'm showing you. And Abram says, Okay. And he begins to pack up his things, and his parents say to him, Abram, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. Where are you going? I, I don't quite know, but I'm going to another land. Abram, 
why are you going to another land? Well, God showed me that, I mean, God spoke to me and told me that, and God showed me that, and if Abram doesn't clothe his faith with obedience, God's unfolding story of redemption takes a detour. But it doesn't because Abram steps out in faith. And so much later in the story, we see an angel of God appear to Mary and say to her, Greetings, favored one. In essence, the Lord's chosen you and he's going to overshadow you and you're going to bear his son. And Mary is faced with the choice of, Oh boy, how am I going to explain this to Joseph? How am I going to explain this to the community? How am I going to explain a child in my belly when I have not had union with a man? You see, God, as He works with us, He places us in situations in, that, that are humanly impossible, that, that require us to say, I don't understand this, but I trust you. And because I trust you and I've discerned that this is you, I'm going to step out and do that thing that you're calling me to, even if it's humanly impossible. And it's that act of faith in the character of God as we sense him moving in our life, speaking to us, calling us to step out, start something new, go somewhere else, reach out to someone, learn in a new way. That act of faith opens the door for God's continued activity. Let me give you a couple of uh, uh, stories from my own life. And I I want to just tell two stories. um, And the ones that I've chosen are stories that show, here's here's what I hope they show us, how profound of a long-term impact one decision to cooperate with the Lord and to step out in faith can be. Thirteen years ago or so, I was in seminary just about to begin my last year, just had gotten married earlier in the year, and um, got a phone call from a man named Pastor Henry Admiral, who was the pastor at West End Christian Reformed Church, and uh, Ann's pastor growing up. And he says, Dave, um, I know that you're done your internship for seminary, but we've got some money left at West End Church that is dedicated toward internship. Would you like to come and work at West End Church over the, com- over this, the course of this year? And um, I, I, I immediately felt, yes, I'd love to do that. Uh, I'd love to learn there. I'd love to grow there. We could really use the money. Um, and so I said, yes. And then two weeks pastor, later, Pastor Henry phoned me up and he said, Dave, you know, I offered you this internship at West End. Well, um, we've got this daughter church named Gold Avenue Church. Have you ever heard of Gold Avenue Church? I said, no. He said, well, let me tell you about Gold Avenue Church. He told me a little bit about the church. And he said, I really feel like um, we, ought to, we ought to send you there. Would you be willing to go there? And I wavered. It didn't sound as comfortable. I didn't know it. That felt like a much larger step of faith for me. And so uh, I couldn't say yes right away. Actually, I said, Henry, I'll pray about it. And I prayed, and I sensed 
Lord, you're calling me to go and to learn and to serve at Gold Avenue Church. And I don't understand what that's going to mean or how that is going to work out, but I'll go and I'll serve. And I was thinking about that this week as I thought, if I didn't say yes to the Lord in that moment to serve here, then I would never have come back here after China, after spending several years in China. And then I thought, how different my life in this church would be. And I thought, none of you would be in my life. And I was really sad. But then I was really happy. Because <laughs> I thought, oh, you're in my life. <laughs> All because of that choice. And I just want us to hear... 13 years later, we're all aware of the many things that God's doing in us as a church family. And a part of that is the role that I've had and the journey that I've been on and the the journey that church has been on together. But I thought back, now all of that was one door open. Lord, you're calling me here. What if I had had fear and said no? Here's the second story. Seven years ago, about two years after I began praying, Lord, teach me about the work of your Holy Spirit. I need to learn. I need to grow. The Lord had me at a conference in North Carolina called Growing the Church in the Power of the Holy Spirit. I was not a teacher. I was an attendee. It was the first time I'd ever been to a conference like this. And this conference was unlike any other one that I've been to since in that it had two tracks. There was an English-speaking track, and then there was a group of 20 Indonesian pastors that were there, and they had a track in Indonesian. And their track started a day later and lasted a day longer than ours. And so our conference ended, and the director of PRMI said to Ann and I, because she was with me, he said, what are you guys doing tomorrow? And we said, um, resting and staying at the cabin that we rented that we haven't been in all week because this was way more intense than we ever thought it was going to be and maybe we'll sit in the hot tub that's there. And he said, would you be willing to come and spend the day praying for us as we minister to the Indonesians? Because they have all, all of our other intercessors have left. And um, we said, okay, we'll do that. So I hadn't spent extended time interceding for anything, and I didn't really know um, a whole lot about in doing intercession or praying for something like this. Uh, I just knew that it was important. It was growing in a sense of its importance. So uh, Ann and I showed up, and he put Ann in the back of the room, and he put me in the front of the room, and he asked us to pray. And I was about 15 minutes into praying for a six- or eight-hour day, and I ran out of things to pray for. I mean, I, I prayed for everything I knew to pray for. And I said, now what, Lord? Like, how do I pray for these people and what's going on? And the Lord brought back to my mind a story that I'd heard earlier in the week. And the story came from a woman named Mary Ellen Connors, who's the director of prayer at PRMI, and had gotten a conversation with Ann and I. And Mary Ellen told us about when she went to China with PRMI and when she was new in the work of intercession. And she said, I was supposed to pray. I was the the person there was dedicated to praying for this eight-hour day, and I was about 15 minutes of the day, and I ran out of things to pray for. And she said, then I remembered that God gives this gift of tongues. And um, I offered my tongue to the Lord, and I said, Lord, would you use my tongue to glorify you? Now, I'm going to just tangent off the story for a quick sec, uh, because some of you don't know what I'm talking about. The Bible talks about gifts of the Spirit that are given to each of us 
as God puts his spirit in us. One of them is is labeled diverse kinds of tongues. So there are multiple different kinds of tongues that are gifted to the spirit. One of them is the ability to speak in other languages. Many stories of God speaking through people in a language that they themselves didn't know and working through it to bring words of comfort, words of prophecy, to preach the gospel, and to save people. That's one kind. Another kind of tongues that God gives is like kind of like a devotional prayer language. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he who prays in a tongue edifies himself. So you're praying from your spirit. You're vocalizing it with your mouth. I'm going to teach more about this later in the year. So um, short teaching now. But it's a devotional language that you don't know, prayer language you don't know. And God, the Holy Spirit, uses it to strengthen and to build you up. So I'm remembering this story in the middle of trying to pray. And I think, Lord, are you bringing this story up to me? And I say to myself, well, Lord, I, I could... I could have the faith to offer you my tongue and to pray with words and syllables that I don't know and to trust that even if I were just babbling, which is what the scripture says that you'll be called a babbler in both Isaiah and 1 Corinthians 14, even if I just were babbling, that you, God, are such a good father that you know that the intent of my heart is to pray in such a way as to bring you glory and to pray for what you're doing here. And so I trust that you'll work through me. And so I did. I just offered my tongue to the Lord. I had no emotional experience. I didn't feel the Spirit coming on me. None of that. I just began, Shandarava kura hyanandarava untura ishtava yunananandarava unkukura hyanananandarava. And over the course of the next few hours, a set of sounds coalesced within my mouth that I began to just continue to pray. Now that's a beginning point. Um, that gift has developed within me. Every gift that we receive, remember, is like a seed that needs to be grown up. Right? So Paul says to Timothy, fan into flames the gift of God that was given you through the laying on of hands. You receive something, you've got to stir it up and fan it up into flames. You don't just wait for God to do it, you've got a role. You've got an active role. Okay, I'm tangenting. Okay. Anyways, so I grow in this gift. I say, Lord, I'm going to use this. It took me about two years till I felt comfortable praying that way in front of any other person. I thought it was the most strange thing in the world. But God told me, don't call what I call a gift strange. I give good gifts. And if I decided to give this gift to the church, you embrace it and have a good attitude about it, Dave. And don't be afraid. So I'm just confessing my sins now. I was afraid for a long time. But I had to grow in this. And as I grew in it, I began to see the Lord use this gift in prayer ministry, in many places, in personal prayer. And three years ago, Pastor Gina and I got invited by a seminary professor to teach at Calvin Seminary about the gift of tongues in a class on 1 Corinthians. And so in preparation for that, we prepared a list, two pages, both sides of stories, one line per story of ways that the Lord had used that gift now I want to tell you one short story of how he used it to show how to tie all this together one step of faith leads to, okay? So a couple years ago, we got worship team practice and um, I can see Lindsay's not her normal self. And I pull her aside and I say, Lindsay, what's going on? And she says, I'm dealing with, something's heavy on me. I don't know exactly what it is. I'm dealing with fear and anxiety as we're, as we're um, 
trying to worship the Lord. And I say, okay, can I pray for you? Yes, you can pray for me. So I invite one other member of the worship team to come with me into that prayer room. And we pray for Lindsay. And I start praying, praying. I'm asking her, are you feeling any better? I'm praying scripture. Are you feeling any better? No, it's not lifting. I say, Lord, how do we pray? And I get this prompt, pray strongly in the spirit. Like pray strongly in tongues. So I pray. I, I, actually, first thing I did was I said, I'm feeling this prompt. Can I pray that way? I said, are you comfortable with that? And she and the other person both said yes. So I prayed. Strong. And I said, now what? She said, it broke. Like it lifted. I don't know. But when you prayed that, something just came off me. So I said, I'm trusting, Lord, that, you know, with tongues there's interpretation. That the interpretation is that you are breaking something off of her. Anyways, that was that was beautiful enough. We went into the worship service and a day or two later I received an email from the other person who was in the room praying with us and that person said, uh, I've never mentioned this to you but I have had the gift of tongues for about 20 years and um, I've never prayed out loud with it. Always just under my breath. But when you were praying, I was praying in tongues with you and the exact same syllables, syllable for syllable, were coming out of my mouth that you were praying. Only God can work a creative miracle like that. And so I said to that person, that's beautiful. I want to talk to you about why you're not praying out loud. And we ended up getting to have that conversation in a different context a number of months later. And I challenged and encouraged that person to begin to, to grow that gift within their personal prayer life And they then shared a short time later, God using that gift to do something in and through personal prayer for a family member who was going through a difficult time. Watch this. All of the fruit, and there's more fruit to come, started on that one for me in a moment of Dave... I know you're really rational and you like things to make sense. But I'm inviting you right now. I'm not, I don't, I'm not hearing these words. I'm transliterating, right? God doesn't, don't hear me saying God speaks that clearly to me. Okay? I don't have a pipeline that you don't have. We're all on the same page. I just want to make that clear. But I'm in a moment where God is inviting me to step out. And clothing my faith with an act of obedience in that moment has reaped already years of fruit, good, good fruit, good, good fruit, that's strengthening and encouraging individual believers, that's strengthening and encouraging the church, that's empowering me to be able to do ministry within the broader Christian Reformed Church where we're all together saying, Lord, teach us about the gifts and the power of your Spirit. So I want to ask us this morning, will we be men and women and young people who increasingly say, yes, Lord? Who are not in any way led or affected by a spirit of fear or of timidity, but by one of faith in the goodness of God, who when he calls us to step out, might allow us to look foolish, 
in the world's eyes or misunderstood for a time, but who will work through our obedience to bring life-changing, life-giving fruit of the extension of His kingdom on earth. Now these stories that are shared are kind of bigger and longer stories. This is, this is as little as will I go and smile and bring a word of encouragement to the person who looks lonely and who's struggling? Will I have a difficult conversation with someone who I feel like I'm, I'm being invited by God to bring a challenge to? Will I be vulnerable enough to take the next step in my own journey and say, what I'm showing on the outside isn't what I'm always feeling on the inside, and I need help. I need prayer. That's an invitation to clothe your faith with obedience. Will I, will you, will we speak this word of encouragement and then call us to close in prayer let's remember where we started Jesus loves us he loves us he loves to give good gifts to us and he loves those that we're moving toward and it's this love that not only moves us but holds us while we're taking steps of faith I want, to pr- I want to challenge and encourage us to pray now together. I don't want to pray for us. I will pray a little bit, but I'd like all of us to pray, kind of family prayer style. Lord, increase my faith. Increase our faith. Lord, develop within me the eyes and the ears to see and to hear and to sense how you're calling me to step out. Every day there's doors that you invite me to open and to walk through. Every day there's people to move toward. Every day... There's some way for me to embody and to proclaim and to advance your kingdom. So let's pray together. I'll lead us in, and then where you are from your seats, let's pray. And uh, worship team, why don't you just come forward while we're praying. Lord, we recognize afresh this incredible privilege that you've given us of being your representatives on the earth. And you've told us you haven't given us a spirit of timidity or one of fear, but one of power and of love and of sound mind. And so we pray, strengthen us in your spirit. Hear our prayers now as we ask you to strengthen us, Lord.
Lord, I pray that you would help me and each person present to not put any limits, any self-imposed limits on how you can use us or how you can work through us. Mm-hmm. Lord Jesus, give us strength and boldness 